Today we are doing another episode of an Ask the Coaches podcast. We haven't done one of these in a while, so it's exciting to have another one of these on the schedule. But recently on social media, on Instagram specifically, we asked a little question box saying, we're going to do an Ask the Coaches podcast, and we wanted to get some questions from you followers and listeners, and we would answer them in a podcast format. So we have our questions. We just took the first um, five or so questions that came in. I think it's five. Oh, no. Actually, we have six. six questions here that came in, and before we dive into them, I thought we would go over what the questions are so that you can kind of skip ahead or know what's coming. So the first question was asking, how do I increase my calories in a healthy manner? So this person is marathon training and they're thinking of ramping up in 2023 to be running more miles and they just want to make sure that they are getting in adequate calories and they seem to be struggling with consuming more calories. So we're going to go over what are some calorie dense foods and other options. And a really common question piggybacking off this is how to increase like your carb intake when you're doing a taper. So we'll have some examples in there as well. The second question was, what is our favorite season to train in as coaches? Um, so we'll be kind of diving in on what is our favorite season to train and race in and maybe ways that you can figure out what the best season for you to train and race in is. Number three, this one has actually been asked um previously by someone. So if you're listening, and I hope you are listening, but it was, how do you pick a run coach? Just kind of going over like, there's so many run coaches out there and it can be challenging to know like which one you should go with. And I know this is the run for PRs podcast and we have 20 coaches here at run for PRs, but we are just going to go over maybe just from an athlete's perspective. Like I'm an athlete myself and I've used various coaches over the years that are not affiliated with run for mm-hmm. PRs and just kind of breaking down like what my process is, what Jason's process is when we are looking to maybe work with a coach or get a training plan written from a coach because there are certain coaches that outside of run for PRs that I actually like would recommend to people. And I would think, yeah, this is a really good um, fit for this individual. But again, it's all about that individual approach. So we'll talk about how you can figure that out. And then there is, this person had a 338 marathon PR. Their long-term goal is to qualify for Boston. So I think that's just shaving <clears throat> nine minutes off their time, but they want to get pregnant first. So, just kind of breaking that down. This is a really tough question to answer because there's so many directions you can go with it. And there's also a lot of unknowns in this question, but we will go over kind of breaking down if this is something on your mind. I know I get that question a lot from people is, oh, I wanna get pregnant and how will that affect my running or some, some variation of that and qualifying for Boston and timelines and all that stuff. Um, and so we'll kind of go into a deep dive there. Then question number five is what do you do when life happens and you miss a workout? Another pretty broad question here. 
but we're going to talk about different scenarios, right? So there's a lot of things in life that can happen, um, illness, injury, family emergency, other situations that might come up that aren't something you need to take extended time off for. <clears throat> and we'll also talk about what workout you missed, right? So that could be a really big factor as well, like missing a 20 miler <coughs> versus missing just like an easy five, totally different scenarios. And then number six is how long will I expect to see muscle gains with the strength program? So at Run for PRs, we have a strength program. This person was specifically asking for our program, how long will it take to see muscle gains? And we'll actually go into a deep dive of if you're using any um, program out there, how long does it take to see quote unquote muscle gains? Um, we'll talk about like what that even means. And we'll talk about other ways that you can measure progress when it comes to strength training, because I know with running, it's like we measure pace numbers, all those things. But with strength training, it's not exactly as cut and dry. So we'll talk about different ways you can measure progress and also talk about like what your goals are with strength training so that you can kind of be tracking those things. So to kick things off, Jason, number one, I mean, this is something I think you would be good at answering because you love food and eating, and it seems like we are always just going for as many foods as we can, right? So how do I increase my calories in a healthy manner? Right, yeah, this is a good one, and it's, it's definitely been a focus of mine over the years if I'm noticing, you know, I'm training for a marathon or... I'm just noticing I'm like not eating enough because a lot of times when you're on the go a lot, you're busy. Um, you know, I used to have a fairly active job and so I had to make sure I was bringing adequate amounts of snacks or I'd be starving by the time lunch rolled around. And so um, I'm not sure everyone will agree with my food choices, but I'll, I'll give you some of my examples that I like. But typically we want to start with adding, uh, just eating more calorie dense foods. So the, my go-tos for adding extra calories would be like um, acai bowls or smoothies or something to that matter, right? Where I can... I can jam in quite a bit of different types of food. So maybe it's like protein powder, maybe it's just a lot of uh, fruit, maybe it's um, nuts and seeds and granola. Um, I like adding almond um, almond butter, things like that, cocoa nibs. Um, but you know, peanut butter, yeah, nuts, flaxseed, those are all good foods that I think can get you some extra calories and help keep you fuller. Um, I also like just hard boiled eggs. We've been kind of getting back into that lately where we're doing a lot of those and I feel like that, that helps hold me over. Um, as well as cheese sticks. So those are kind of my go-tos for adding in more calorie uh, calories into my diet. Um, what about you? Yeah, so I mean, there's two directions that I'm really thinking that this person was asking. So this individual, I think, is like struggling and saying like, oh, I, I, um, like I can't stomach enough food. And so what you were saying, like the high high caloric density is really important, right? So like making those smoothies and adding in like nut butters into smoothies, like it can be like a caloric bomb if you wanna go mm-hmm. and, and add protein powder and all of those things can really up the calories there. Um, if you're on the opposite end of the spectrum, right? And you're like constantly eating, cause I feel like that's actually more of like what most <laughs> distance runners will say is that they like can't eat enough. Like they're always, mm-hmm. they're always hungry. And so in that case, it's like, really looking at the breakdown of things and making sure you're fueling at proper times, right? So if all of a sudden you're getting hanger out of nowhere and this is happening like multiple times a week, we probably wanna look at like how your fueling strategy around your training is going. So um, like you mentioned, you like to have the hard boiled eggs or what was cheese stick or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, For that, it's like, yeah, looking at how much protein are you eating throughout the day is very important and also making sure that you're fueling properly. So if you're going on 
a 60 to 90 minute run in the morning, um, we're going to try to be fueling before that. We're going to be trying to fuel during that. And then we're going to be trying to fuel immediately after that. And I know a lot of people tend to neglect those three things and they just wait until the last possible moment. And then all of a sudden it's like 10 AM and they are starving and they're just like scrounging down anything. But I think what goes hand in hand with running is you really have to be on point with your fueling. And that's how you actually sustain your training and you feel good long-term. Otherwise, what's going to end up happening is you're just going to get this hanger that hits you at some point Mm -hmm. during the day. And so for me, when I'm immediately done running, um, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this, you don't necessarily feel hungry. Same with when you're running. Like if I go out and do a 60 to 90 minute run, I do not feel like I need to have fuel. But it's the whole point that you're going out there, you're taxing your body. You need to be punishing those calories before it hits you later because when it hits you later that's when things can go south quickly like your mood can start deteriorating you can just like be eating anything in sight and then you can also get like frustrated because you're like i can't get enough food in and so planning is really important right so if you know you have a run in the early morning and i know often people are like i can't stomach anything before my run try a gel try something small because your stomach can be trained to um, eat and then run almost immediately after. And, um, I know that doesn't really sound appealing to a lot of people who don't like to eat in the morning, but I think it can prevent some of these hanger feelings later in the day. Um, and then when it comes to adding in more carbs, so if you are someone who is training for a marathon or you're gearing up, you're increasing your mileage, you're an endurance athlete and we're running on carbs, right? We do need to make sure we're getting adequate carb intake during the week and carbs are definitely your friend. Um, I know that when you're carbo-loading or when you have a long run coming up, it can be challenging. And I think a lot of people, like the way this question was worded, how can I increase my calories in a healthy manner? Um, for some reason, just with diet culture out there, there tends to sometimes be this weird connotation out there that somehow if you're carbo-loading, it's not quote-unquote healthy, but that's furthest thing from the truth, right? carbs are needed for endurance athletes and it's actually going to make you um, perform better. So making sure that you're having adequate carbohydrates, they say for carbo loading, the best way to get those carbohydrates are in um, the form of simple carbohydrates. So like white rice, potatoes, they they even say like candy, anything that's going to get you the carbs right away. Um, other things that you can add in if you are doing the carbo loading is going to be like maple syrup on, on things or honey. If you're making like oatmeal, adding in the extra honey, doing some sports drinks or fruit juices can really boost up the carbohydrate content as well. So again, this is for if you are just struggling to get in the carb number or your carbo loading. These are some really dense sources of carbs that you can add in pretty easily would be like the honey maple syrup and fruit juices yeah in terms of carbs you know we do a fairly good job i think trying to plan a meal ahead of time or know what we're going to be having so that you know whether it's rice or quinoa or or pasta or something so that there is carbs in addition to maybe some vegetables or protein Um, and then just like during those times of heavier training just going making that extra effort to make sure you're getting a health like a, a bigger portion i guess and um that's snacks. that's kind of what I do. Yeah, snacks. And then if I eat a pretty good sized meal, I notice like I'm not as hungry like at night. Like that used to be a mm-hmm. common thing where we'd eat fairly early 
in the evening. And if I didn't eat a big dinner, you know, I'd be hungry before bed. But if I've increased my protein intake at dinner, then I notice I'm not as hungry. Um, and then you mentioned the morning runner, how I have a lot of athletes too, who don't like to eat much before they do their run. And then it takes them a few hours after the run to, you know, want, feel like they want to eat. And that's where that planning ahead comes, comes into play. I, I just know that, you know, if you have something ready, ready to go, you grab it when you need it. I think that's going to be more beneficial than like scrambling for something and then making poor choices when it comes to your food. Right. Yeah. Almost like forcing it definitely is helpful. And that's how you're going to be doing it. So if you're training for a marathon, you do need to be fueling if you actually want to reach your potential and have the best performance outcomes. So you need to practice how you do that. And if you're never having opportunities to practice like the breakfast before your run, and the fueling on your run, your stomach's not going to be able to really tolerate it that well during the race, which is going to be problematic. And then you're probably going to think, oh, like fueling doesn't work for me. But in reality, it does work. We just have to train our stomach and everything to tolerate um, the gels. And also you need to see what works for you, right? So that's an opportunity within your training to see if these things are sitting well with you and then make adjustments as you go. So the next question, just diving in here, would be, what is your favorite season to train in and race in? Wow, I guess I haven't thought about this in a while, but um, for me, it, it was it was the fall. You know, thinking back to like my when I first got into running, I realized what cross country was. You know, it's just a time of year where the leaves change, the temperatures started to get cooler. It, for me, it felt easier to run for longer and run faster, and so. I really enjoyed running, um, you know, in that 30 to 55 degree range. That's kind of my my bread and butter that I went, that I prefer to train in. And so um, I also like the race distances offered in the fall. So it was always like a little bit longer than track. And then post collegiately, I was always one that wanted to do a marathon in the fall. That way, I could train all summer in the heat and then kind of capitalize on that heat training and building my fitness and then peaking in the fall. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, Living here in Minnesota, we have pretty mild summers compared to most of the U.S. Um, So for me, I really prefer training hard during the months of July, August, September, October, because those are really ideal months in terms of temperature. Um, In July, it rarely is above 75, maybe like 80 degrees at, you know, the 5 a.m. hour when I typically start my runs. And that 80 degrees is like once all summer. Mm -hmm. And so you're getting mainly days from my, if my memory is serving me correctly, mainly I'm running in in about 67 degrees, 80% humidity. And to me, that's like ideal running temperature, plus you're getting some of the benefits of the heat training. Well, not heat training, but I should say humidity, right? So humidity is known as poor man's altitude. So we don't get to do altitude training here in the Midwest because there's no mountains, no altitude here, but we do get the humidity in the summer. And that does help with getting those benefits, right? So when the temperatures drop in the fall, you're able to run faster because the temperatures are cooler your body doesn't have to work as hard to cool you down all of those things we've talked about on previous podcasts so i definitely enjoy training hard that june july august september october those five months out of the year racing in like november december um even early january but 
I will say that if I lived anywhere else in the country, I think it would probably be reversed, right? We have some friends that live in Orlando, and I'm pretty sure it would be the exact opposite Mm -hmm. if I was training um, somewhere where it's really warm. And mainly the reason, I mean, I would love to train for a spring marathon just because it seems like it would be a fun thing to do in the spring, right? Get outside, Mm -hmm. run run a race. But the reality of living in Minnesota, like right now, I don't know how many inches of snow we have in the ground. You tell me. What do you think? Probably 12. I don't know. Probably like 12 inches of snow. Like we're recording this in December and there's already 12 inches of snow. Um, We're about to get hit with like a bunch of negative degree days. And so it's not really um, ideal to be out there for longer than 60 to 90 minutes. And plus the footing Mm -hmm. is so iffy. I remember last winter I trained for an April marathon. It was the very beginning of April. And I pretty much could only do long runs on days where like footing was okay and temps were above a certain, you know, if it was above 10 degrees, I could do it. But that was mm-hmm. very sparingly. And the only reason I was able to really get those runs done outside is because I do have a really flexible job. But I remember back in the day when you used mm-hmm. to be a teacher and I was in accounting still, it was like every single run was done. All the long runs pretty much were on the, the treadmill with the exception right. of maybe one weekend where we lucked out and there was a 16 degree day or something like that yeah i kind of agree with you you know spring is exciting for the fact that like it's getting warmer out so you don't have to maybe wear as many layers but um Mm -hmm. and you know doing a race in spring is really nice too it's usually more sunshine you know than than we see in the winter but the one thing i don't like about the spring is kind of how once everything melts in march it's just a mess there's puddles everywhere everything's kind of it's dirty and so muddy yeah and so you kind of have to be prepared to to uh clean your shoes and and uh yeah so that that's kind of the one downfall of spring but um i personally i like the four seasons it kind of they all present like a challenge in terms of like training and how you're going to get through right. each season and i know some of the um you know some of the states down south maybe don't have to deal as much as as we do with all that but um yeah kind of a fun question yeah and i think us here in minnesota at least in minneapolis area a lot of people have been on instagram like messaging me because i've been sharing that we've been doing some nordic skiing people are like oh i wish i lived somewhere where i could do nordic skiing so there's definitely like benefits i think to living in colder climates because you are able to almost like shift from one sport to the other like if you think about all the cross-country kids up here a lot of them will do nordic skiing in the winter and that's really good cross training and so they're able to take that time off from running but they're still keeping that fitness high for outdoor track so it's almost like a year-round situation where i think in other parts of the country maybe it's a little bit different so i do like the variety for sure Um, One of the other downsides to living somewhere where it does get so cold (laughs) is that like when April or May hits and all of a sudden we have like a 55 degree day and it's sunny, people, I'm not kidding you, will say it's hot out that impacted my workout, (laughs) myself included. Like you go out there, it's the first 55, 60 degree day and you're like, oh, it's so hot. You feel like you're so dehydrated. You feel like your paces are slower. And I know that sounds really funny because it's not that hot, but when you're not used to it yeah. and you haven't seen the sun in like four months, it can feel it very extreme. Like we all come out of winter here in Minnesota. We're very uh, pasty. We haven't seen the sun in a long time and it can be a big adjustment for us. So I don't really love to race in the spring for that reason, just because mm-hmm. I like to give my body time to adjust to the temperature changes. Um, but yeah, everyone's different. So then number three, how do you pick 
a run coach. So this is definitely challenging for sure. I think where a lot of people um, go to this is like you're an adult and it's your first time getting a run coach. Whereas like Jason and I, we both have experience working with coaches either in college or in high school when we did cross country or track. So we kind of knew like what personalities maybe we liked versus didn't like because when you're going through a program like that, you see how different coaches are. And so maybe you're able to figure out what type of personality fit you like. But I do think it is important that you have, like you click with your coach and there is some sort of like personality fit there because there is a wide spectrum of different personalities you get with coaches. Some coaches are more of like the David Goggins style. For those of you who don't know who that is, he is like very hardcore. There is no BS with this guy. He's just gonna say it like it is, no sugar coating, no rah-rah, no celebrating, just very hardcore and like just, I don't know, that's the best way that I can describe it. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you might have someone that is maybe a little bit more like Coach Megan here. It's very like positive, yay, yay, rah, rah, like believe in everything, yes you can. And there's nothing wrong with either end of the spectrum, but if you're someone who really gets motivated by someone like yelling at you and like being really neutral or just like hardcore, you might wanna be looking for a coach that has a similar like philosophy and approach to how they communicate. And then if you're someone who that kind of turns you off and you need someone that like encourages you and says nice things and is very understanding and wants to kind of cheer you on along the way and isn't as maybe as serious quote unquote serious about like no days off and all that all that stuff you know um you might want to look for someone that has a more like warm personality and they're going to convey themselves that way like on social media or through emails you're going to be able to figure that out fairly quickly but also being realistic that when you are communicating with someone, if you feel like the personality fit isn't really there, it's okay to like ask to work with someone else, right? So if you're at a big coaching company like Run For PRs, maybe it's like, oh, maybe I wanna try someone else. Or you could even ask us like, hey, this is kind of what I'm looking for in terms of personality because we do have 20 mm -hmm. coaches, whereas like we can pretty much pinpoint the personality is that might work really well for you versus someone else and I think that's one of the biggest um, things that we look for and I know on our intake form we kind of try to get a feel for people um, and we always ask like what are you hoping to get out of this coaching experience and we can sometimes get a feel for that but at the end of the day I think making sure that personality fit is there is is important for sure. Yeah I mean you said a lot of good things that resonated with me and one thing I didn't even think of was all the coaches that I've been exposed to over the years, like in person, right? Like, and right. that maybe how that's influenced, you know, what qualities I look for in a coach. Mm. But I can think back to like three or four different college coaches I had, you know, just I can kind of see the differences, you know, and, and mm. I can also see the uh, what they brought in terms of positives too, and, and sort of some of the things that I took from them and I knew I wanted to emulate if I was a coach. Um, and luckily, I, I here I am. So I think for me, when I'm starting to, you know, for example, over the years, I've maybe I've looked for like a tri coach or I've looked for a coach to help me kind of get back to running through injury and that sort of thing. So um, 
I guess one of the things I look for is, is someone that has maybe some knowledge or understanding of what it is I'm looking to accomplish. So mm. if it's if I'm having a tough time getting over reoccurring calf strains, that sort of thing, I wanted someone that's maybe been through that or have had a history of helping athletes mm. through that. Um, same with the triathlon, just someone that's maybe um, going to help challenge me in new ways with like my biking and swimming. Um, as far as personality characteristics, just really someone who's not uh, not the attitude of like my way is best that sort of oh. thing you know someone who's very kind of open they're looking to grow as well as a coach um, so they're you know they almost want you to have some autonomy with your training and that communication is always open and so um, responsiveness is huge someone that responds mm. in a timely manner I know that's something we really try to instill amongst our coaches is getting back to athletes you know within a 24-hour time period I feel like that's pretty pretty good and you know no one wants to wait three four days to hear from their coach right you want a response fairly quickly um so those are kind of the main things and i guess one extra thing would be just someone who sees your potential like you know they've worked with enough athletes where they can tell like oh this is this person's strengths maybe this is their areas for growth and improvement and i can definitely see them getting to this point Um, and i think that's why in college i was able to reach you know, my goal in, in two of the events that I did, um, the mile and the steeplechase, was because I had a coach who, who believed in me and saw my potential. You know, you said so. a lot of really good things there. Um, the responsiveness and all that really brings up a good point. So I, I think there maybe are some people out there that don't really care about the response time, right? Like they're cool if their coach doesn't respond back in like a week, but I think that's a very small population of mm-hmm. people out there. And maybe they're more into like the group runs, whatever. But from our experience, my experience, we really expect our coaches to respond in a timely manner, like within 24, 48 hours. And uh, I think that's huge, right? I mean, I've heard so many people say that they've worked with a coach and they don't talk to them for like weeks on end or it takes them a really long time to respond. So I would take that as a red flag, like if your coach isn't being responsive because it's usually like a pattern of behavior. So if you're cool with um, waiting, right, then that's totally fine. But always kind of taking those first initial interactions that you have with someone, like assume that's their personality, assume that that's how long it takes them to respond, all of those things. You don't always need to give people the benefit of the doubt for sure. Um, and then the other thing that you said with the openness and the willingness to like kind of collaborate with you, I think is really important too. So a lot of people will ask like, what's your coaching philosophy at Run for PRs? And I think all of our coaches kind of have a, like a tweak, like a spin on the similar, a similar approach, right? We all believe in like the 80, 20 training, 80% is going to be easy running. 20% is going to be, um, hard efforts. And within that, it's so customizable, like drilling down on what someone's goal is. Like We might have some athletes where they come to us and they're like, I can really only run like 20 miles a week, period, end of story. Like, do I have to follow this exact 80-20? And it's like, there might be some flexibility within there on a case-by-case basis based on what is your history? What is your background? All of those things. And I think what's really important there is having a coach that has an understanding of your background and has a clear plan for how to get you to your goals. So if you are telling them all about your background and they don't really seem receptive or they don't really seem understanding, uh, that could be challenging. I would say if the coach has a clear plan for how to get you to your goals and they can kind of articulate like what the path is for you for Mm -hmm. the next 
couple of months, couple of years and help like target goals for you, that's really good because it's showing that they see the path and that they see like long-term success with you. And communication is really key too. So I think explaining um, the training plan is super key, right? So once they develop the first month or first couple of months of training and communicating to you maybe like what the underlying goal is here and what to be looking out for is also important because it's a learning experience and you want to kind of learn something from the coach instead of following blindly. I mean, some people like to follow blindly, but I I like to have it be um, a collaborative approach. That way you can at least have understandings. Like if it doesn't work out in the future, at least you kind of know what the approach was and then you can maybe work with someone that has a little bit of a different approach. Yeah, really good um, things that kind of piggybacked on what I said. And one other thing that just came to mind was about how um, you know, I feel like you should be working with a coach who's able to challenge you in some way or hold you accountable for something. So mm. thinking of myself in the past, there's been times where I want to ramp things up too quickly and I want to mm. make sure I have a coach that holds me accountable and doesn't let me overdo it. Right. Or mm. there's the athlete that runs too fast on their easy days. And so, you know, what is it that your coach is helping try to instill in you that's trying to, you know, almost transform something about your running that's going to help you grow, you know, and, and become faster in the long run. Um, to me, that's what it's about. Right. Yeah. And I think that can be a tough thing for people because no one really likes to be called out, but it is super important that they do have something that they hold you accountable to. And I think as an athlete, you should know almost like what it is that you kind of want to be held accountable for. It shouldn't be like the coach just randomly being like, no, you're this and that. It should be almost like a collaborative approach. So when I get a new athlete, it's like I want to get a feel for maybe like what their goals are and maybe what they have seen in the past has not really worked out for them. And then we kind of come up with together, what are the things we need to hold each other accountable for, right? Like, um, some of my athletes, it, yeah, a lot of it is just kind of easier things like we're not going to overtrain or we're not going to ramp it up too fast or we're not going to go too fast in our easy days. We are going to focus on our quality workouts. Um, there's just a lot of scenarios in there. Some of it could just be being consistent, right? Sometimes we get athletes where they just really want to make sure that us as a coach reaches out to them every two weeks and keeps them consistent because that's really important to them. And so finding out what it is that you want to be held accountable to. Um, and I love how you shared like your tendency to ramp things up too fast. I think in the past when I've worked with coaches, they have tried to hammer home like you are trying to run too high of mileage because I am someone that I just love running and I want to do all the miles, but it can be counterproductive Mm -hmm. after a certain point. So it's not like they're constantly calling you out, but having that nice like, hey, let's not run, you know, 20 this weekend. We're we're doing 14, you know, (laughs) or just making sure that they're looking at your training. I think that is a really good piece. And you definitely don't want to be working with someone where you feel like, oh, I'm scared of them. But um, sometimes there is that accountability piece that goes into things. Yeah. And, and I've worked with a coach too in the past where I, if I would have followed the training, I know for a fact I would have ended up injured faster. Mm. It was just too much for what I knew I could handle. And so I kind of was, yep. you know, part of that was the plan that I purchased didn't include much communication. So that was on me. But um, just, you know, you kind of have to know yourself too and what right. what you need to be focusing on. 
Um, and then just one last thing was is about racing too. Like you're, you want a coach who's going to help you kind of navigate the, you know, sort of the thoughts when it comes to racing and post-race, especially helping you identify what maybe went well, what is an area for improvement in the future, um, and just sort of keeping you looking ahead to what's next. Because one race does not, you know, it's not the end-all be-all of your training. Absolutely. And so that brings up a whole nother point, right? So um, can you learn and grow from your experiences with this coach? So we just want to preface by not all races are going to go well. Your training could go great. Your training could not go great. Um, anything can happen on race day. And you might have a race where like you're in shape to go out there, run 330, and then like you run four hours. And then you're like, what the heck happened? And so I think what you really want to look for in a coach and see if it's a good fit is can this person kind of admit either if they made some sort of error or if there's a way that you can collaborate for the future how can we learn and grow from this opportunity and so maybe they could even if you're let's let's say you're interviewing a bunch of coaches and you don't currently have a coach you could say hey i ran this marathon i was in shape to do xyz here's what my long runs look like here's what my mileage look like this is what happened on race day tell me tell me why tell me why and if a good coach would be able to be like you know, I didn't coach you through the cycle, but here are some things that I'm seeing. I may be seeing you ran too fast on your long runs, or you didn't run enough mileage, or a lot of your mileage is in the gray zone, or how was your fueling, right? There's going to be a lot of questions that these coaches could ask you. And I think the more questions that your coach is asking and the more, um, maybe like the more ideas that they're giving you for what went wrong, that coach is probably going to be a little bit more knowledgeable um, and is going to help you maybe learn from these things that happened in your running. So I think that could be a really good diagnostic test for if you are in that interviewing process or if you're curious about finding a coach, I would send them an example of something that just totally went wrong with your running. It could be if you were working with a coach or not and just be like, what happened? Why is this happening? Here is my training. Here is what happened can you give me some ideas? And I think a lot of coaches that kind of know their stuff, they're going to have a lot of follow-up questions. They're also going to um, have some ideas for you. And so based on those ideas, if you're able to learn something, I think you're going to see, wow, this coach actually has a lot of value that they could provide. I want to work with them. So that's something that I would look for too. Um, I, I worked with a coach, gosh, it was like eight or nine years ago now. Um, And I remember the plan, like you said, I saw it and I go, whoa, this is way too much. I mean, this is crazy. And I think he probably thought I was like some sort of like prodigy at the time Mm -hmm. because I had gone from like a 408 marathon to like 314 within, it was like two years. So he, and I was like, oh yeah, I just blah, blah, blah. I'm kind of newer to marathoning. So he was like, oh. And so he (laughs) prescribed these like crazy mileage, crazy like workout long runs all the things and i'm like i've never done a workout within a long run and i attempted it and like you even had to come pick me up from a couple runs because i was like this is just not working and i remember telling them and it was kind of like roadblocks and just like really weird communication and i was like yeah this isn't really um like a good fit so i think like you said that communication piece is really huge so if you do give feedback to a coach based on how the training is their reaction to that um, says a lot, right? So my, re- I gave some feedback, like this is a little bit too much. And his reaction was like, well, what do you want me to do about it? Or like, well, you're not going to be able to reach your goal unless you do this. And I was like, whoa, um, 
weird so mm, it's just wow. it's a little bit of a different there's always right, it's um, rigid, rigid <laughs> right mindset, rigid not being flexible not willing to right adjust um gosh even you know that guy that i mentioned that wrote my plan um i think what he does he looked at like my history of prs and stuff and what exactly. you need to do as a coach you need exactly. to really assess where the athlete is at currently and what their recent training's oh done because otherwise gosh. you know they um you're setting them up for for failure probably or an injury right. so well and that's yeah. the thing is you want to make sure that this person like has experience working with someone maybe who's done this so that could also be a question that you're asking within the process um so like in 2016 2015 i actually worked with two women who were coming back postpartum i had never had kids before and i was like yeah just so you know like i don't really know a lot about this um i can write your plan but i really like i've never done this before and i was pretty transparent about it they were like no that's totally cool like whatever um but you know in going in coaching them i learned quite a bit based on like their communication, their feedback, and then going through it myself and then just getting more experience coaching even more women and all that stuff. It's like you you get a lot of experience from coaching over the years. And so I think if you also ask a coach, hey, do you have experience working with someone like this? They're going to mm-hmm. be able yep. to provide for you examples. And m- most coaches are going to be honest with you. They're going to be like, yeah, a few people or yeah, like a ton of people. And so you just want to make sure that you're getting someone that has experience if that's important to you as well. So diving into the next question, this individual has a 338 marathon PR and their long-term goal is to be Q. Um, so that would be a 3.30. But she wants to get pregnant first. So I really like how she worded this as the 3.38 is her long-term goal. Because you, some people would look at this and go, wow, she's only eight or nine minutes away from a BQ. But if you read the second part of the sentence, she says, but I want to get pregnant pregnant first. So this person doesn't have any kids. She wants to get pregnant for the first time. And she also wants to qualify for Boston. Um, So I think there's a lot going on here, right? Um, If you are trying to conceive, so you get to the place in your running where you're like, yep, I want to try to get pregnant. Um, Everyone's going to be a little bit different here. But I personally and a lot of my athletes like to have something that they are training for maybe in the back of their mind while you're trying to conceive because... I believe if you're under 30, it can take up to like 12 months to be considered normal trying to conceive. So that's a long time, right? Like 12 months of month after month, like waiting to see if you're pregnant. Obviously, some people get pregnant right away, but sometimes it can take a while. And we have had a f- one podcast episode, I think, with Brie Colbull. Um, who's one of our coaches here, and we just kind of shared our experiences, but she said it took her about, I think it was like nine or 10 months to get pregnant for the first time. And at first she kind of dialed back with her running and she kind of got frustrated because after a few months, nothing was happening. And Mm -hmm. she decided, you know what? I'm just gonna sign up for a marathon. I'm gonna sign up for something because I just need something else to think about. I need something to do. So I think that strategy can sometimes work well. Um, Obviously, if you're trying to conceive, it can be challenging to have such a big goal on the calendar because it's like, well, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do it or not, right? So if you are looking at your 2023 year 
and you're like, maybe I should do a marathon in June. Well, you don't really know if you're going to be pregnant or not in June. So I like to go with races that are maybe a little bit less um, less of an investment in training, mm. right? So focusing more on like the 5K distance, focusing on speed. Um, that way, if you do get pregnant, it's not like you are in the middle of a marathon training cycle or you're outer race entry fee i know some people right. are like i already planned this whole trip to do this race and obviously you can do races while you're pregnant but it's just it goes again like there's so many ways you can go with it because some people are like i don't want to run a marathon while i'm pregnant some people are like i'm doing the marathon no matter what and you never really know how you're going to feel when you're pregnant um i think some people they're able to run no problem like one of my friends she she was like doing 13 mile runs when she was 37 weeks, like no big deal. Um, other people that I know or that I've coached, they don't really run at all during pregnancy. And there's just like every variation in between there. And so it's tough to plan for that. But I do think in the trying to conceive era, maintaining your fitness and maybe even working on something that's a little bit lower investment or if you're feeling ambitious and you want to sign up for a different type of race to have on the calendar <clears throat> definitely could be an option but also knowing that if you do become pregnant like within a month or two things might might shift and change so just knowing that in the back of your head and kind of going through the scenario like what would you be most comfortable with if something were to change then when it comes to pregnancy running, it's probably going to vary from person to person. Like I said, my one friend, 37 weeks, she was doing 13 mile runs on a treadmill, banging it out like nine minute pace, like it's nothing. Um, a lot of people don't run at all during pregnancy. There's everywhere in between, right? So I think on average, most people just like scale it back um, and they just listen to their bodies, kind of take it easy. And... There's just like not a lot you can do in terms of building fitness. It's, it's more of like a whole year of just either maintaining or kind of losing fitness. And then postpartum is a whole journey in and of itself. Um, postpartum come back, it's really important to focus on recovery first and not diving back into training hardcore super fast. Um, I know that can be really a challenging period for a lot of people because running is something that makes a lot of people who run it it's like hard to not run because your life is being kind of in this period of transition and it's like you really wish that you could be running a lot but I think finding other outlets during that first like six to 12 week period um, postpartum when you're maybe not cleared to run yet is really important so doing walks gradually building back um that way and then when you do get the clearance to run making sure things with the pelvic floor are doing well so getting that referral to a pelvic floor physical therapist can be extremely helpful and making sure when you do start back we want to start with run walks and i know that that can be really challenging and not as fun, but it is really helpful in allowing the body to ease back into running and ease the load of things because it is a lot of running is a lot of stress on your pelvic floor and birth is a lot of stress on your pelvic floor. And we just want to make sure that we're doing a progressive overload principle and not doing too much too quickly. You also want to be doing your run walks like every other day at most. And so it can take a very long time to really get back to um, where you're at in terms of mileage. And sometimes it takes people by surprise, but I always kind of say 
from the time that you find out you're pregnant until uh, you're back to running your old paces, man, give yourself 18 months. <laughs> like, it's, it is um, quite the journey. So it could be anywhere from, like, a, a year from finding out you're pregnant to two years of time that you're just not going to be at your, you know, peak fitness or running what your pre-pregnancy paces were. And some, for some people, it can take up to two years postpartum. So that would be close to two and a half years until you reach um, those old paces again. But again, there's so many things that play into that. And some people hit it sooner, some later, that sort of thing. Um, so again, there's a lot of unknowns, but I do have someone that I'm actually currently coaching her marathon PR. Gosh, I, it's 340 or something. So it's very similar to this. Wants a BQ, wants to get pregnant first. So right now I think she's about six months postpartum. Um, kind of what we did there. She got pregnant right away. So that was fun and exciting. And she kind of maintained fitness throughout pregnancy, stopped running. And when it got uncomfortable, you know, around the third trimester, then she started back running about um, eight weeks postpartum. And she is still kind of in that building phase, building back mileage. But I think giving yourself grace and like easing into that routine and stuff. I really liked how she also didn't want to dive back into the marathon. So we're working more mm -hmm. on speed and stuff and getting like the well she's training for a 10 mile but we're getting like her half marathon kind of ready for this spring and so her first like real a race where she wants to get back to her like pre-pregnancy paces is about when she's 11 or 12 months postpartum and so right now we're really focused on speed she just did a 5k went really well we'll probably do another 5k just to get that speed back and then once she does that 10 mile race in the spring, she'll be about one year postpartum. That's when we're gonna start ramping back up for marathon training. Um, and I think she'll be able to go for the BQ at that point. So I think it would be good if postpartum, after you're recovered, after you kind of ease back in, your mileage is there, maybe you're six, eight, nine months postpartum, to target a half marathon sort of situation see if we can get your fitness into in this case she runs down a 330 see if you can get your fitness down into that 140 range 140 ish and then gear up give yourself about another six months and then go after that bq goal so it could be anywhere from you know two years from when you find out you're pregnant to or or longer but i like how you worded it as a long-term goal so the next question is, what do you do when life happens and you miss a workout? Yeah, this one this one happens a lot of the time um, with athletes that I'm working with. You know, doing regular check-ins. Um, we'll we'll just go down the list here. So the first thing would be, you know, we're gonna first figure out what happened. If it, if it's just um, you can do it the next day. Let's say you're busy, caught at work. We can always modify and do it the next day. Um, that's no problem usually, and that might only impact like your um, the runs on the following days for a couple of days, right? And then we can get back on track. So that one's pretty easy. And, and if the tricky ones are when you have some sort of minor injury flare up or an illness that can take you out for a couple of days. And so those ones are going to require some more adjusting, right? And so we don't want to, um, make things worse by coming back too quickly. Right. And so your first few runs back after being sick, 
um, should not be a workout, that sort of thing. And so um, the biggest thing is just um, trying to set yourself up to get back on track and giving yourself a couple of weeks. Sometimes it can take, it might just take like three to five days. Other times it might take two or three weeks, especially if you're in the middle of like marathon training. Let's say you're like six weeks in and you get this really bad virus that takes you out, wipes you out for a week. I had that a few times with athletes and we just really had to hit the reset button with, with uh, long runs and with workouts and it took a few weeks to get back on track. So uh, those are probably the most common that I've seen um, recently it would be the injury, the illness, or just um, like a one day switcheroo if, if they have a conflict that comes. Right, yeah. So I think there's really like two categories here and I liked how you brought up like the injury, illness, whatever category mm-hmm. first. And I think runners can be really stubborn and no runner enjoys, well, some runners do, but like a lot of runners do not enjoy adjusting their plan or taking time off. Me, over the years, I have learned this the hard way. I've done a lot of really stupid things where, oh, like I feel like I'm maybe getting a sore throat. Oh, I'll just ignore it, go on my run, do my 20 mile workout, whatever. Boom, it's gonna make whatever symptoms, whatever flare up, whatever illness that you are maybe having that is very minor and could be easily negated by taking an extra day off or just doing some easy runs, Mm -hmm. it will take things to the next level and you will be forced to take extended time off. So I think it's really important if something is flaring up, if you are noticing like, whoa, I think I'm getting a cold, I think I'm getting sick, or oh, I just, I'm like right there on the edge, it would be better to take the time and adjust workouts and delete a workout than it would be to, oh, just power through because that doesn't usually end up well. Your body's going to be all all mad about that and things will, will happen. So especially, if, yeah, if it's an injury as well, like if you feel something flaring up, let's not do the 10-mile workout. Like let, let's not do the 20-mile long run. And I know that goes like, oh, obviously, but – I think it's really important to address that because a lot of people will think, oh yeah, obviously, but when it does happen to you and you feel a little niggle and you're in the middle of your training cycle and you don't want to take the time off, you will in your mind question like, do I really need to take this time off? And the answer is yes, you do. And it would be better to adjust and do like a week of easy running or a couple days off and a few days of easy Mm -hmm. running. See how you feel in five to seven days and just delete those workouts. Just adjust some things than it would be to, oh, power through, make sure I don't miss anything. Um, But then there are people like on the other end of the spectrum where like life is happening, right? Like life happens every day. Um, You know, it's like, oh, I gotta go out of town for this wedding or I have this Mm -hmm. party or like I have happy hour or oh, I'm going house hunting tonight. And there's always things that are going to come up in terms of life. And so I think it's important to like ask the question, Am I currently in a season that's going to allow for me to train consistently enough mm-hmm. where I'm going to be able to do X, Y, Z? And even if that's, I know this is terrible and frustrating, but you know, a lot of parents with young kids and you have kids that are in daycare or in elementary school and they're getting sick all the time. Like sometimes that that in and of itself can be enough where you're like yeah i don't really think this is the right time for me to be training for a marathon because i can't catch a break like i'm literally getting sick every other week or my kid's getting sick and it's just too much stress Mm -hmm. um too many days i'm having to take off and sometimes it's just a reval of like maybe 
training in the summer for this marathon would be better because there's like less cold and flu things going around. My kids aren't in school to catch all these viruses, that sort of thing. But it's a case by case basis. And then also like in your 20s, right? Maybe there's just things that are going on. Like you have all these weddings and you have your your house hunting. I don't know what goes on. And, and it's life, right? Like life is happening. And so you want to ask yourself like, is training for this race a priority to me? And if it is, okay, like continue, but you really need to make sure it is a priority Um, because things are always going to be coming up in life. And so just asking yourself, like, if you're in a season of like really wanting to make it a priority or not, that's why I always say um, you really want to have to like want to train for a marathon. You can't just kind of go through the motions. It's something you really got to have the desire and that fire to do because there are going to be so many things that pop up where you're like, well, sounds a lot better than doing a 20 mile long run in the morning. And it's going to be really tough to hold yourself accountable to getting in that 20 miler, even though you're in your friend's wedding and then you're going backpacking the next weekend and all this stuff. It's like, where do you have time to fit it in? Well, you're going to have to figure it out somehow um, if you want to train for it. And so that's a more, if it's not like illness related, injury related, if it's more just like fun things in your life that are taking up time, um, definitely good to ask mm-hmm. yourself if it's a good time for you to train or not. Yeah, it's a little bit easier to navigate when it happens very rarely, right. you know, because you can usually figure out like, is it best to just let that one slide or do I make it up, you know, looking ahead at the schedule, like looks like I don't have another workout until this day. So maybe then you have a chance to make it up. But um, I think for my athletes, it's really nice to have everything laid out in training peaks. Usually we have a couple weeks made at a time. So that allows us some flexibility. And um, a lot of times it might be as, as uh, easy as like just sacrificing the long run for the workout or vice versa. You know, a lot of times mm-hmm. athletes might maybe just miss the long run on the weekend because it was such a hectic weekend. Um, so then we figure out, okay, here's Monday. What, what do you have time for today? And sometimes they could make that run a little bit longer, things like that, right? So it'll just always depend on, you know, what the event is that, that mm. uh, force you to miss that workout and um, how quickly we can recover from that. No, that brings up a really good point too, because sometimes in your season of life, like let's say you're just really busy and you just find that, oh man, like I'm constantly feeling like I need to make adjustments, switch things around. I think maybe you could evaluate like the whole plan all together and just be like, okay, let's kind of knock out some of these workouts because I don't think I'm going to be able to even, like you could just look at the plan and be like, this looks like too much and kind of giving that feedback either to your coach or making the adjustments yourself. Um, I know whenever I create my own training plans, like I did for my most recent marathon training cycle, um, I was a little overly ambitious when you're really far out from the race. You're like, yeah, I'm going to be able to do all of this. And then as I got closer, kind of into more of the thick of training, I was looking at the peak eight weeks of training. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to be able to do any of this. So I just deleted some workouts and moved some things around and made it so that it was a little bit more sustainable because, yeah, you're not going to be able to maybe in every season of life might be a little bit different. You might be able to like knock it out of the park with some training cycles where you can like just ace everything. But maybe as you get older or circumstances change, like you have small kids or you're really busy with extracurricular activities, whatever it may be, you might find that, hey, I'm not able to maybe train at that same caliber, but I can adjust some things, still give 100% of my effort in training with these adjustments. And don't be afraid to do something a little different with your training. Like for my training for the recent sub three that I did, I think I was running long every other week. So it would be every 14 days I would do a long run. And 
that might not seem like a lot compared to the plans you see on the internet, but it allowed me to really recover in between and still have like two quality workouts in between those long runs that helped to lower my threshold, build endurance, all of those things. And so really just being flexible, I think is important and and knowing that you can frame up training in a number of different ways and still be successful. Yeah, nothing wrong with missing a workout every now and then. You know, it's like um, we have to use PTO days for work, right? We take a day off and we move on. Same thing with a workout. And I think a lot of times athletes, we put so much emphasis on the one Mm. workout and really you're not going to lose fitness. You're just going to recover and overcome it and then continue with training. And that's the biggest thing is how can you continue to, to stay consistent after you miss that workout? That's really what's most important. Right. And then sometimes if I am looking at a calendar and I'm like, well, I know I'm going to have to miss this workout. If I look at the workout as a coach or as an athlete and I'm like, that's really not a good workout to miss. Uh, I That's a really key, like that's a killer mm. workout. We got it. We got to do that workout. I will just like play kind of musical chairs with some of your other workouts and we'll find the we'll find the least meaningful workout left on your training plan and just kind of shift everything around so i'll always look like okay if there's any workouts in there that are like anaerobic based or if it's like a fart leg where it's like 10 by one minute or like 10 by two minute or whatever like that one's gonna go if you're in the middle of marathon training at least for me like that's gonna be the first thing i ax and then i'll just bump everything else around and kind of move things so you're making sure you're kind of eliminating the quote unquote least important i mean they're all important but like the least important workout Mm -hmm. and maybe you don't have any workouts that are like one minute or two minute in duration. Well, maybe it's going to be like the 800 meter repeats, or maybe it's going to be like the shortest mm-hmm. intervals. Um, and then sometimes I'll look at, are any of the workouts really similar in this training plan? And I'll maybe knock out one of those workouts. So in my training plan, I think I had like a eight by, or maybe it was 10 by one K and then like six by one mile extremely similar workouts so 10 by 1k 6 by 1 mile that's six miles of work they were both planned to do a threshold pace and i think i'm pretty sure i asked one of those because it was like you know these are basically the same workouts you need to get in this 20 mile or somewhere in here so delete one of these workouts because you're pretty much doing the exact same workout in two weeks anyways or in four weeks or whatever so that's another way that you can go about eliminating things if you see that things are kind of redundant like don't be afraid to just like knock one out. Or if you have two 20 milers in there, honestly, like that might be one of the things that you knock out. You just say, I don't need to do two. Like that seems kind of pointless. And I I did that in my last training cycle. I think I had two long runs in there that were just going to be like easy um, 20 milers. And I was like, nope, I'm deleting one because I just know it's going to take me a really long time to recover from that 20. And I would actually probably get more benefit from doing like a 10 to 13 mile workout instead. So it's just really kind of eliminating the path of least resistance, having your whole plan out, trying to play musical workouts. Okay. And the last question on here is number six, how long until I expect to see muscle gains, quote muscle gains with the strength program? So I would like to know how are you measuring the progress? Because muscle gains, that to me would mean like weight gain. So you would be looking at like a weight gain and potentially like measuring right. your bicep, quad, that sort right. of thing. The um, of or you could be doing like a DEXA scan, but I don't think a lot of people really do 
those mm. things. Um, but I do think it's really important whenever you start a workout regimen or any sort of strength training program, you want to know how you're going to be measuring your progress. There's a number of different ways you could do that. One of them could be progress pictures. Another one could be weight gain, if we're talking about weight training, measurements. Um, and it is difficult to really be gaining a ton of muscle if you're training for a marathon or if you're in a catabolic state. So if you are at the same time being like, oh, I want to lose weight or whatever, we just want to make sure we have clear defined goals. So sometimes people want to lose weight simultaneously with like gain muscle and that can be, it's just a lot going on. So we want to make sure what your goals are. So if your goal is this said muscle gains, I'm thinking you want to gain weight. You want to gain muscle mass. So we would want to make sure that you're in a calorie um, surplus so that you're able to make that um, muscle gains. And then we also want to be making sure if, if your goal is to gain muscle, what are your running goals, right? So if your overarching goal is gain muscle, you don't care as much about the running performance, We need to be lifting before we do any running. We need to maybe even be scaling back our running a little bit because we don't want to have our body doing too much because it's it's like you have to prioritize and focus on one thing. It would be like if you were doing soccer and also playing football. It's like, yes, you can do them both, but if you want to get really good and specialized at one, you are going to need to spend more time and more of your energy focused on one so that you can really make those gains. And I think if you're really a beginner when it comes to strength training, you might be able to, for a while, get away with doing both at the same time and seeing these gains. But if you're someone maybe in my position, for example, I've been strength training for four or five years. So whenever I'm marathon training, I see a decrease in my strength because all of my muscles are getting so fatigued from the runs that I'm not able to lift the same amount of weight because I'm just in such a fatigued state all of the time. Um, You might fall into that camp as well. I think people after about a year of strength training, they kind of reach a plateau. So if you are really trying to gain muscle, we're going to want to make sure that your program including your running, is set up for success so that you can gain muscle. That's going to mean maybe a little bit less running if your legs are constantly fatigued and you're not able to move the weights that you want to. Um, And then we're also going to want to have like a starting point. So we're going to want to know what your starting weight is so that we can measure that weight gain, that muscle gain. And then maybe even doing like a DEXA scan. So I had a DEXA scan done in April. It was really cool. It told you exactly Mm -hmm how much muscle mass you had, like limb by limb broken down, what your body weight was, body fat percent. And really that's the only true way that you're going to know if your muscle mass increased. And I think the guy there told me Mm -hmm. the soonest you want to come back is after 12 weeks, just because it takes such a long time to do it. I I never went back. I should go back. But I'm honestly Mm -hmm. a little scared because all I did from then on was marathon train. And I Mm -hmm. literally think I like lost muscle because when you're marathon training you can sometimes end up in these catabolic states where you are almost like eating part of your muscle if you're not eating enough calories if you're not feeling properly if you you're just expending a lot of energy doing the um the cardio for so long yeah i mean you i don't have a ton to add because you nailed it (laughs) but you know a lot of athletes that we get i think the number one goal is injury prevention Mm -hmm. in terms of their running right and but if you are someone that really wants to see those muscle gains, 
you know, the things you talked about, like the progress pictures, the weight gain, the measurements, all that is great. But then on a day to day, like how can you sort of measure and track that you're on track to get those gains? It's really, you could be looking at strength, right? So I know you talked about when you're marathon training, you noticed mm. you weren't as strong, right? Cause you knew about how much you could deadlift and squat during your like speed training versus marathon training. Or off so, season, yeah. Yeah, off season. And so using kind of those measurements, and I know the big three are like bench, squat, deadlift, right? Yep. In terms of like how much weight you can do, how many reps. Um, you could also do push-ups and pull-ups, and those are very common as well. But, you know, I think by setting those small goals in those areas and giving yourself ample time to, you know, achieve that next benchmark, like for me, it's just like a five-pound increase on the bench, you know, and I'm happy with that. And so that will hopefully... Uh, put you on the right path to gaining that muscle over time. So. Right. And then defining what those goals are. So I think that's really important too is most runners I don't think really care like what I mean some of them do but like mm -hmm. what your one max rep for deadlift squat and bench are I've literally never even tested my own one max rep. Right. I have no idea what they would be. Um, but I'm more just like measuring it off of okay I'm, I'm trying to get like six to 10 reps like what weight am I using right but I think if I really wanted to be serious about it and say okay am I getting muscle gains am I getting strength gains mm -hmm. here I would need to test like what is my one max right. rep today do a whole mm -hmm. um, 12 weeks and then retest and you'd almost need to like taper for that retest taper a little bit for that um that initial test just because you want to be able to measure your goals. You want to approach it like you would almost running, right? You want to be really specific about your training, all of those things. Um, but like what you were saying, I think a lot of people who do our strength program, I do not think that their goal is to necessarily get muscle gains. I think maybe their goal is injury prevention, maybe just like a little bit of um, strength gains, yeah. just making sure that when they're going to do a course like the Boston Marathon, that their quads don't get completely right. destroyed because I think that's been the number one thing for me. I've done a few of these downhill races. I did Boston um, a year and a half ago now or a year ago. And I, my quads just don't get sore. And I think a lot of that is attributed to the strength training that I'm doing. I'm putting a lot of load on the quads, making sure that – you know, they are, they're strong enough to handle the force of running downhill, running down a mountain or down downhill at the Boston Marathon um, with the force of my body weight, you know, over and over again at those high paces. And strength training can definitely be hand in hand with, um, with that. And there's a lot of other benefits to strength training that sometimes you don't really even see, right? Like the injury for prevention mm -hmm. piece, like the balance, um, mobility, all of the things. And sometimes it's one right. of those things that you don't really realize the benefits of until you eliminate it. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I, you know, I need to get back into strength training. Um, but it is, it's an important part of your overall health as a human in general as well. So obviously running is great and it's great for cardiovascular health, but I think like the recommendations now for strength training, it's like part of your, I don't even know who puts out these recommendations, right? But it is a strength train three times a week. And that is something that anyone should be doing to negate the effects of aging right as we get into yeah. our 40s don't you or isn't it 30s i don't know for sure when you're in your oh, 40s yeah, you lose muscle mass every year and yeah. so 
if you are at a place in your 30s already where like you already feel like you don't have a lot of muscle mass, you want to make sure that you're kind of putting things on because there is going to be an inevitable deterioration that occurs in the later span of life. And I've heard quoted on so many podcasts that like one of the leading causes of death of women over the age of 60 or 70 is like falling and breaking a hip and then like not being able to recover. And some of that they're saying stems from just not being like strong enough mm-hmm. or um, that sort of thing. Um, and it also helps with your bone density too. So I am someone that has to get a hysterectomy performed because I have like this gene, BRCA1, causes ovarian cancer. And so the number one thing for them is like, okay, if you're going to do that, you're going to go into menopause early. So that means you need to make sure your bone density is strong enough. And the number one thing, I mean, obviously running helps with your bone density, but weight-bearing exercise, lifting weights is going to help with that bone density because all women are going to go through this if they make it to their 50s, right? And you're going to go through this inevitable, like bone density is going to go down, all of these things. And so you want to go into that era of life in the best possible shape for that inevitable Mm -hmm. decline that's going to happen to everyone. So I think almost like preparing for that and thinking of this as it's not necessarily 100% for your running, it's just for your overall health as a human, for sure. Yeah, and you know, sometimes we want the gains quick, right? And we, (laughs) just like with our running, we want to achieve that PR soon. And sometimes you don't really notice the gains as much because it's your own body, right? But over time, um, you just maybe slowly added a little bit of muscle. I know we talked about how I, my deltoids have gotten a little bit bigger over the years and attribute that to a number of things. But sometimes, you know, when you see someone that you haven't seen in years, mm. if they've been really consistent with like lifting or something new, you can notice like the significant difference, right? And so that's just because you're not used to seeing them like that. But when you see your body every single day, sometimes it's just not as noticeable right. in those changes. Right. That brings uh, up another good point though, is like, if you are taking progress pics or if you are just like going based on what you look like, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. it's important to understand like everyone has different genetics. And so some people like hold more fat in certain areas of their body. So you might see someone like on social media be like, how do I not, why do my legs not look like that? Or why do my abs not look like that? Everyone's gonna just hold things differently. And I think one of the comments that I used to get is like, oh my gosh, your quads. But is for whatever reason, my quad area just isn't, it, it just is more toned, I guess, than mm-hmm. maybe other people. But I have other areas where it's like not as flattering, I guess you could say, because mm-hmm. my genetics, everyone's genetics are completely right. different. And so that's something really to look out for. Another thing to look out for if you're looking for like, oh, this drives me crazy. But when people are like, I want to get quote unquote toned or I want to look more toned. Um, we also want to be looking at, okay, it percentage body fat basically is a factor there and you want to be making sure that you're doing that in like a healthy manner and understanding that some of these people on social media whatever that you're seeing it's it's they're you don't know the situation they could be doing some of these fitness competitions where you're literally starving yourself and depriving yourself of water so you're getting to this really really lean state you're taking all these video selfies these people are posting all this content on the internet like look at me look at me Mm -hmm. it's not normal or natural state these people are doing this for a show and then they're kind of flaunting on the internet so we look at it and think that's an achievable sustainable um lifestyle but really it's not and i think Gosh, I don't even know what it is for women. But I think, like, if you're under 16%, it's, like, that's where it starts to get kind of borderline where things can start happening, like, losing your period, amenorrhea. Gosh, I don't even know how to say that. But 
But the truth is that sometimes it can sway in that opposite direction of being unhealthy. So you just want to make sure that you have realistic expectations for yourself and you have like healthy ways of measuring progress. Because again, just because like you're looking leaner doesn't necessarily mean that that's better. It could just be that person just has a very low percent body fat. You could be just as strong. You can't really tell how strong someone is by looking at them. I mean, there'll be mm-hmm. times at the gym where I see people squatting and I'm like, whoa, like you just don't, you have no idea how strong someone is by looking at them. You can't really tell. So I think it's really good to have other ways to measure progress, Mm -hmm. like doing the one rep max or using weight measurements as maybe a better tool than like quote unquote progress picks. Yeah, well said. I've been surprised by pe- people at the gym. The other things you never know if they're and some big guys too that might oh be lifting gosh, less. I've right, seen that. Right. So it's like, well, you, you just never it's know. not that they're not strong. It could just be they're taking it easy, right? So, right. Um, I always yeah. kind of joke that I look like I, I could be able to like move a lot of weight like with squatting because I think running also like right. really I don't know must be some sort of strength training for your legs, obviously. But mm-hmm. I think I look like I would be able to to lift them. I I'm just not I'm not very strong. So. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to measure those gains. Making sure you're prioritizing that if that is your goal, making sure that we're prioritizing the lifting before our runs, that sort of thing is also really important. So this was actually really fun. It was nice to kind of mix things up with this podcast. I feel like it was kind of lengthy, but if you are interested in either chatting with Jason or myself or any of our coaches here, we would love to get to know more about you and your background and work with you towards your goals. And we do offer a free seven-day trial for anyone who's interested. You can fill out the form on our website, www.runforprs.com, to get that free seven-day trial working with a coach. Again, that's www.runforprs.com for your free seven-day trial. Thanks for tuning in.